Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Apple Store Soho. You guys ready for a good time tonight, yes? Perfect. Well then, guys, join me in welcoming to the stage our moderator for the evening. From L, please welcome Mickey Rapkin. To say the very least, Doc, Carson Daly is a very busy guy. He's the host of NBC's highest rated show, The Voice, and he also fronts uh, one of its most under-the-radar shows, Last Call with Carson Daly, which is now enjoying its 11th season. Daly got his start in radio, interning for a then-unknown Jimmy Kimmel, before moving to New York in 1998 to host MTV's Total Request Live. Ladies and gentlemen, Carson Daly. What's happening, everybody? Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for coming. It's great to be here. Carson, we're going to dive right in. The okay. finale of The Voice is next week. Yes. We're down to four. Tony Luca, the Mouseketeer. Yes. Chris Mann, the Opera Man. Yep. Jermaine Paul, the backup singer. Mm -hmm. And Juliet Sims, my pick. Your um, pick? Yes. Okay. Um, in your mind, who's the front runner? If you were in an office pool... Who would you, where would you put your money? It's, it's really hard to say. One thing that we've noticed on the show is that the right song at the right time holds a lot of weight. So right now, Juliet Sims seems to have that because I think it started with her um, rendition of Roxanne by the Police, what she did to that song, and then coming out the next week, last Monday night in our Elite Eight show, she told a story about being a female and being inspired by front... Uh, um, rock stars, uh, front men like Mick Jagger and Steven Tyler, but the music business wouldn't give her a fair shake because she was a woman. That was a story that she told. And then she went into wearing a gown, that incredible rendition of James Brown. Um, it's a man's, 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 man's world. Three mans in there. And she killed it. So she's got a lot of heat right now. Um, but you don't know. I mean, uh, Jermaine Paul is somebody that we really haven't seen. You no, know, he sung Avril Lavigne in the Blinds. He did a Billy Ocean song. And then last week he did a Journey song. He's somebody who, I, I, he, what, if he does the right song at the right time in the finals, he may blow the roof off the place and he may have it. Tony Luca has been doing a lot of, he did the Britney cover. He's kind of the wild card. And Chris Mann did Ave Maria after doing Coldplay. So I think he's back in his lane of opera. It really is anybody's race. Do they consult you ever on song choices? Because that is, to me, really, as, like you said, the most important thing. Not necessarily with me. The, the, we, as producers, we are aware of the discussions that our coaches are having with their artists as the season progresses. Um, there's clearance issues, so we have to know about some of them. But by and large, the process that's happening during the battle rounds in particular, which is sort of the, the torso of the format, um, that's a relationship that we take a step back and really let. I mean, we have four of the biggest names in music. If Blake wants Ray Lynn to sing a certain song, they can work it out between the two of them. That, that certainly helps. Um, when you look back on the season, what were the turning points? Because there's some moments where someone seems really hot and they burn out. When, when you look back, what were the, the turning points? You know, it's a good question. I don't, you know, I don't know. It's a long season. Um, there's big markers down the stretch. Um, the, the early one is the, the blind auditions. I mean, if you just get a chair to turn, that's really just the biggest thing. And I'm with the family. Are you nervous? Yeah, hell they, yeah, I'm nervous. I, when you're watching at home, you're like, oh my God, someone please hit the button. I'm nervous because I don't want these people who flew into Los Angeles to think that we're just a reality show. That's my biggest concern. Like, I, I want them to know that none of, you know, we built this show as a, as a genuine, earnest pursuit to help people make it in music. We didn't build it to save NBC. We didn't build it. It, it comes from a, the DNA of the voice is, is in a really is a really great thing, 
And I, I as a host, as if, some, if any of you came into my house, I would genuinely want you to have a good time and I'd want to be a good host. So that's my main thought is I want, when I'm in that room, I want to make them feel at home and, and, and hopefully their experience on the show for whoever they're representing is a good one. And when a chair turns around, it's amazing. And when no chairs turn around, it's like the hardest thing you could possibly imagine to have you know, a family you know, really bummed out. Yeah, what do you say to those parents? Because there must be... Lo- they say, look, they were on right TV. What a great opportunity. <laughs> you know, I run through my laundry list of like, this, they, this, you know, this is a great momentum builder. You can use this to try and you know, just keep at it, keep at it. And they were great. And, but they understand. I mean, they're thankful to have a shot. And that's part of the beauty of the format. I mean, the coaches have no idea about any of the backstories. They don't know who's up there. If they get, if they're moved by that voice, that's where the relationship starts. Speaking of those backstories, do you ever worry they're going to run out of these people? I mean, where do they even find them? You know, you're watching, you're like, this one has no jaw, and she's saying, like, they, the stories right, are right. so crazy. These they moving are. stories. Yeah, that was Charlotte. Sometimes had a the jaw disease. It is amazing. I mean, there's amazing stories, and I think that's another thing that we do well in the show, and it's really credit to Mark Burnett Productions um, and NBC the way that they've come together to storytell. I mean, there's people's and I think when you watch a show, even if you don't want to watch it for the music, you know, it's inspiring to see some of these people's stories. You know, Jamar Rogers was a favorite, um, still is, even though he's not in the competition. But I mean, no, he was a, you know, he's HIV positive, he was a drug addict. I gave him his invite to the show here in New York City when he was, I surprised him and he was, you know, feeding the elderly in his spare time. I and mean, there's incredible people that come on the show and their stories um, are one major, major component of why the show's successful. When you look back at the season, is there anyone that America got it wrong Someone that, that, the, that the judges sent home, that America sent home. You know, it's hard to say. I mean, look at the landscape of music right now. It's really hard to say. I mean, we're seeing a real resurgence in pop music. It's almost like it's my era from TRL all over again right now. It feels like 2000 in a lot of ways um, because of the boy bands that are making a, a big comeback. So it's, it's hard to say. There's guys like Ducky, who I had on my late night show, who never got a chair to turn around. I thought he was great. I thought I, we saw him in the executive callbacks and... But what I think doesn't matter. I'm not one of the coaches, so... Um, is there one you would have saved if you had been granted the power to save one Ducky of these? is somebody that I, I... If I had had a card to throw him back mm-hmm. in the competition, I listen to his music now, actually. I had him on last call, and he gave me, like, his EP demo, and I just really like it. It's a really bluesy, kind of Jack White vibe. I mean, personally, I just like his music, so... After these shows air, the music obviously goes up on iTunes. What is it like on the set of the show? You know, are people comparing their, you know, rankings on iTunes and the different artists going at it oh, with yeah, each other. No, the relationship that The Voice has had with iTunes has been a really important one. It's become, in, it's, 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 in, it's, it's our voting method. It's one of the methods yeah. of voting is by purchasing the single at iTunes. But it's, it's offered, you know, a lot of legitimacy to our young artists and people who are on the show. I mean, their music is up on, for, for purchase at iTunes. It's, they feel like they're rock stars. You know, last Monday night in our Elite Eight show, we had all eight, when we woke up on Tuesday morning and got the iTunes numbers, we had all eight chart in the top 200. And two of them like, went one and two in alternative rock. So yeah, the charting and, and the, the, um, the for purchase at iTunes has been a really important um, component to the voice. That is unreal. Um, Glee recently ran into some trouble with artists feeling like the covers weren't good. Have you had, had anything like that on the voice or anyone who particularly was excited about their cover? It's a great question. Um, I don't recall. No, we've never had any anything negative. Yeah. I think the difference is, you know, for the voice, you've got, you know, you've got a real person coming out doing somebody's cover, and they're flattered by it. Um, yeah. No, it's always been positive. I can't think of any. 
somebody did CeeLo last year in the blind auditions, and that was, that was interesting. He did the FU song, um, Nakia. And, he, and, and CeeLo actually turned around for him. He wanted to see who this brave individual was that sang his song. So sometimes they'll do their, uh, somebody did a Miranda Lambert song, and I don't remember if Blake turned around. So it's dicey. Yeah, exactly. It's risky. Um, what's, where's Javier Colon now? Javier wins the show last year. Yeah. Where is he now? You know, that's the thing people, I think, in today's day and age, people really expect the, the ultimate sign of success is if someone walks off a TV show winning, winning the show, like The Voice, and isn't on the cover of Rolling Stone the next day, or you know, isn't in the, you know, with a number one song, that, 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 that's anything less than successful, and that's really not the case. Javier's had a great year. Um, Javier you know, has been, once they're off the show, we don't tell them what kind of artist to be. Mm -hmm. Javier's had a very um, uh, a clear indication of what kind of artist he, he, the songs he wanted to write, they're a little more for, he writes really for his wife and his kids and his right. family. Um, it's, it's adult contemporary, if you will. So Javier just performed on the show last week. He sounds great. He's got a new record out. And um, we expect great things from him in the future. He's an incredible talent and really a big part of the success of The Voice. I mean, the minute he opened his mouth and won season one, it got, everybody, got everybody's attention that The Voice was, had the best singing or singers out there. Is that the kind of thing, though, where people are going to start as there's a season you know, two winner and then a season three winner, that if there's not a track record, you know, that, that, that will somehow take away from the legitimacy of the show. In a perfect world, yeah. You, you'd like to have somebody, you know, kind of pierce right. through popular culture and chart and make it. And, you know, we've seen in the past from non-winners seem to do well in these sorts of shows. Exactly. Jennifer Hudson's, if you will. So, we, you know, we're, we just, we're still in the middle of season two. I think we have time. Yeah. Um, I don't think the show would, will, will, will not have uh, the longevity without one, but it certainly would be nice. And we, we, we think it'll happen. This year's a great year. I mean, the, the, the difference between season one and season two is the diversity of our final four this year any of them really could become incredibly prolific artists. There's already been some auditions for season three, is that right? Some executive auditions? There's been, um, let me put it this way. We have not been officially picked up for season three to answer that question, but we, um, as a production, because of the undertaking of this show, are prepared, and so we've taken measures that we've, we've, we've needed to to be prepared if we get that call that they're season three. So that comes in the form of, you could categorize it as auditions, but right. it's a real A&R process that we go through to scour the major cities and, and to get a feel for artists who are developing and, and looking for a shot. And we have a lot of people in the field, so to speak, yeah. that help us. So in some regard, yes, the work, but that's a, that happens all year round for us. When they called you with this job, what did you think? I mean, you must have been offered these things before, and on paper, this never should have worked. You know, it was another singing reality right. show on a network that was struggling, yeah. and now it's like, it's the biggest thing. When, what did you think? When well, my relationship came? with NBC's been weird. I mean, I, yeah. I left MTV and got a late night show, and I always thought I was gonna be in late night. I loved, you know, I was inspired by, you know, the late night guys, the late night franchise at NBC, obviously with Carson and, and Leno, and, and then just like what they've done with Bob Costas. But then like weirdly, I love Charlie Rose. I love long form conversation. I love, you know, This American Life, great storytelling. So I never, the late night thing just never really worked for me. And I did it for like five years and I didn't do it well. And my, my resources were really kind of stripped away. And during the whole late night debacle at NBC, I sort of saw my future and I was like, wow, I met, it might not be in the way that I thought it was gonna be in the form of a late night talk show host. And only when you're, I realized like I've been, just working because I was scared of losing my job. You know, I was scared of maybe having to move out of my house. I don't know, but I really, when, when you're faced with adversity, finally I was like, you know what? 
fuck it. Like, I, I don't care. I'm going to make the show that I really want to make. And that's, we did it. And we, we uh, I loved David Tell's Insomniac. I was like, you know what? Let all the big guys fight over Kings of Leon when they come into town. There's a bunch of new artists out there that need help. And if I'm the guy that's shining a spotlight and trying to help artists out, then great. And I'm going to go do some interviews in some bars and have what I think is a heightened conversation with a wide, diverse... And that's what Last Call's become, this sort of boutique... I don't know what it is now, but it's a ton of fun to do, and our ratings are up 15% year-to-date. The network's thrilled with the show. And the last few years, the show's evolved to be something that I'm really incredibly proud of. But to answer your question a long way, when they came to me with The Voice, I was like, you know what? I'm finally okay here. I wish you guys had come at me with this show three years ago. Plus, I really don't watch these singing competition shows. I, I just don't think they're great. They make fun of people, and it's just not my thing. And how, did, how did they get you on board then? Well, they showed me this tape of a show from Holland called The Voice, and they had the chairs turning around, and they explained, you know, and they were like, and we've got, we're talking about, I'm like, what artists are you talking? Well, first, like, Mark Burnett's producing it. It's like, all right, he charges an arm and a leg, so I know you're serious. And then they were like, well, I'm like, what kind of judges? Are we talking about people trying to revamp their careers? Or they said, no, we're talking big names. And Christina was the first name that we all thought of. And I just, I just thought it was great. They were like, we're going to mentor, we're going to help. The show is for musicians, top to bottom. Um, and it's a high priority for the network, and we look at you as a music guy, and, and I was just like, great. And it was an op awesome opportunity, and we did it, and I, couldn't, I can't believe that it's become as big as it is. But. There's talk that one day they'll rotate out the judges, that they'll switch it up. Who would be your dream, if they had a fifth chair or they rotated it out, who would be? Out of, out of respect for my fellow coaches, it probably yeah. wouldn't be prudent to name drop other people's names because we're, we're right in the middle of season two. And I, I think the, the four coaches that we have now, Blake Shelton and Christina and Adam and CeeLo, who I knew three of them pretty well. Maroon 5 made their, their debut on Last Call. Oh, CeeLo, I knew from Goody Mob kind of back in the day. Um, Christina, I've obviously known for a long time. And, and Blake, we didn't know really at all, but I think he's gotten the biggest bounce out of the show. He's such a great guy and he's been awesome on it. Um, the, the, the format is bigger than any one, one coach or, or one host, for that matter. So I think it's, it's possible to say in the future that that could be something that's revolving. And um, I, I, I don't know who... There's a lot of colorful musicians out there who would, who would be great. And after the success of the show, there's a lot that are interested in the gig. So that's also good. Um, we should say that the winner of The Voice is going to be at the 14th Street uh, Apple Store that. next Friday night. That's awesome. Um, which is great. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the early... Yes. Um, Thank you, Apple employee. No, they're applauding the winner of the store. Thank you. Um, Someone owns stock. <laughs> uh, I want to talk a little bit about the early career, you know. Yes. We first saw you, you know, on MTV. Yeah. Which was the craziest, craziest I mean, thing ever. I, I felt like I What were those I was, days like? You know, this was like it was the height crazy. of the Britney, Christina, NSYNC, Backstreet Boys. You know, my backstory. I don't come from anything. I don't come right. from any money. I don't, I didn't, I don't, I didn't, people think I like auditioned for something or like tried to, MTV was at a place where they had models there like you know like Idalis and John Sencio and um, there was a whole wave of people that went there Daisy Fuentes who really just were looking at MTV as a thing to parlay into something bigger they would come and go when I got there I was a radio DJ. I lived in five cities in five years. I lived in a Motel Six. Yeah, tell me about them. This I was mean, in, I, like I, I lived. This was in San Diego, right? Yeah. What were those days like? You know, you're working at some at the time they were awesome. radio station, and I mean, they're they're shitty, but like you don't have a frame of reference, you don't know any better. I was just running from having to like grow up and get a real job, and I thought, you know what? Like if if you're drug free and show up on time in the radio business, you can excel very quickly. <laughs> and so I just like. I just kept rolling the dice. I'm like, you know, eventually I'm going to get figured out or, or like whatever 
God's plan is for me will yeah. become very evident by the fact that I'm unemployed and then I'll just go back to school or whatever. And it really just never stopped. I worked in San Diego and when I did the overnight shift there and why were you living in a motel six? I, I just, because I was, I, I just, it was cheap. I got up by the week and I started as a weekend DJ there. And I, I mean, I didn't have Can any money. Can you tell about your car? Didn't you have a truck that you like backed up into the, I had a pickup truck and oh, in San Diego. Yeah. yeah. Well, the door, the front door broke. Um, to the motel, I backed up my pickup truck. The front and I door used to it. your room. Yeah, it was on the yeah. ground level in the parking lot, so I just backed up the truck. But I don't know. And then I got a job like in San Francisco, and I just drove up there and lied and told the dude that like, yeah, I was moving up here anyway because my sister lives up here, and I slept on my sister's floor, and she was like in a relationship with the dude, and they're like, why is your brother sleeping on the floor? And I worked at Live One Hundred Five there um, from two a.m. to six a.m. Convinced who, who Alex is, Bennett, the morning show guy. I'm like, yeah, I'm a writer. Let me write some comedy bits. I wasn't. The Melrose Place was huge at the time. I'm like, I got a bit called Morning After Melrose. I'll come in the next morning and I'll, I'll tape record the show and, you know, do a recap for you. And it just kept going. And finally, K-Rock in L.A. was my biggest break. And I thought I had died and gone to heaven. And then MTV called and said, do you want to come do this on TV? And I thought, yeah, right. And, and then that was like I did but a beach house. To, didn't you move to New York without a job, right? I had to quit my radio job to sign up for the MTV job because MTV was stealing DJs at K-Rock in Los Angeles. And so K-Rock was like, what are you doing? You're poaching. And so MTV was like, we can't touch you. You're like a night guy in LA. And I said, what if I was unemployed? What if I quit? And they said, you probably wouldn't do that. And so I quit. And uh, <laughs> I went and I got my, I did six to 10 at K-Rock in LA and, and I got my headphones. And I actually, this dude at MTV, Bob Cusbit, I'll shout him out. He told me, he was like, honestly, if the, when, when the dust settles after two weeks, if you do quit, we'll, I'll pick, we'll give you a deal at MTV. We'll sign you up as a VJ. And I was like, I don't know you, dude, but I'm about to throw away my entire radio career, like looking you in the eye, like, if you fuck me now, like, this'll be something, won't it? <laughs> and he said, and he was like, you know, and he was, he was a really nice guy, he was a family guy, and I believed him, so... When I got off the air at 10 o'clock one day, I grabbed my headphones, and this is how it works in radio. It was a little cutthroat. By the way, if they had switched formats to easy listening, they would, you know, I would have got off the air, they would have said, you're out, dude. Um, and I took my headphones, and I sort of resigned, you know, and um, I flew to New York and called that guy up and was like, I, was, I took my mom, we were like living in a hotel in Times Square, me in hotels, and um, I'm like, hey man, I'm here, what about that free agency? And he's like, all right, let's meet. And um, I started TRL that like day, literally. Bring us to the craziest moments in the in TRL. You know, everybody. Who were the names who were stopping by? Like who would just drop? Because it, like it was crazy. It was called. Stars would just walk in. It, it, nobody in the beginning. Right. Um, we had uh, Toby Amys, who was a VJ from Europe that they'd hired from MTV. We had um, Ananda Lewis, who was from BET, who was super smart. And we had a new crop, and we just bought 1515 Broadway here, and we were trying to do the kind of Today Show with the glass, and we wanted to be live. So we had a show called uh, MTV Live, which was hosted by like all of us that was a disaster. And then I did a show in the middle of the night that I wanted to do something with the internet. I wanted to do something with emails. I wanted, because I was so, people when I'd walk down the street, we'd go, dude, you play the shittiest videos all the time. And, and I would say, it's not my fault. Like, it's, I don't, I'm not the program director of MTV. Right. So I went to them and I was like, we should just do an hour where we let people control it. That way I can just say, well, you know what? It's your fault. Like, you have shitty taste in music <laughs> because 9,000 of you requested whatever. And so right. we started a show called Total Request based on, I was like a computer lab. Like, it was really cheesy. Long story short, that evolved yeah. into the merging of that live thing and that request thing into Total Request Live, right when social media was really at its very, very, very sort of beginning and the idea of giving the digital democracy or the user mm -hmm. a chance to sort of have a piece or a stake in this company, in Viacom. There was one hour of the day 
like American Bandstand was in the late 50s and 60s, that's what this was to a generation. It was their show, and it caught on really fast. And all of a sudden, there were not just musicians, but Adam Sandler was there, and Mike Myers, and those guys who were huge at the time, Mel Gibson, you know, Brad Pitt calling in, and movie stars were stopping by, and we're like, holy shit, this is And what is did you show. think? I mean, this is like, you described it once, it was like your living room, but what was it actually like? It was loud, and, you know, it was just, I don't know, it wasn't that much bigger than this. It was underwhelming when people walked in the TRL set, because in their minds, I think, because of the iconic images mm -hmm. of the wide shots of Times Square being packed when Marilyn Manson or Eminem or Korn or Backstreet Boys came, we shut the city down. Um, so it was larger than life, no pun intended, BSB fans. Um, it's all coming back to me now. Um, it's, I hear the screams, don't scream. Don't scream. Um, it, uh, it, was, it was small, but it was intimate. It really started much like this. I mean, it was a monitor, and it was me just like, hey man, welcome to TRL, and here's number 10. And we'd take a shot of the window, and there'd be one dude with a sign. It said like, I came from you know, Brooklyn. And uh, I'd be like, awesome. <laughs> and then two weeks later, I would look out the window, and there'd be the Brooklyn kid, and then there'd be a dude who's like, I drove from Connecticut. And, and then it was just like, cut to thousands of people like from Brazil, like uh, from all over the world. And they came to just, to not hear the show, not be able, and then I was like, can we let these people up? And the, and the producer's like, we don't know, let them check the fire code. And so they checked the code and they're like, yeah, we can let up hundred people every day. It's like, we started letting people up and it just became like, I don't know, it was cool. Like they used to give me tickets all the time to Madison Square Garden to shows and I'd get off the air and they'd be like, oh, you know, you're a VJ, like here, here's, you know, backstage passes. And I would always say like, you know what? I honestly, I don't really need to go. I'm just gonna go to this bar and drink with like, you know, my loser friends anyway. Like I would love to give these tickets to that 16 year old kid because that right. kid would freak out if he could go. And the essence of TRL at the time, that's what we really built the show on was the access that we had as a network was to give that to those people that really deserved it and really should be there. So that, that real fan centric, mm -hmm. that was really what the show was about. When I interviewed you for Elle, you told me a great story about taking the Backstreet Boys to scores. I don't know if it was the Backstreet Boys. Or NSYNC. Joey Fatone from NSYNC, however, he and I frequented that place a lot. What was it like? Well, you did try to tell me that it was, it was not about the women. It was not about the women? No, it was about the TV and you would watch the fights and you would... Well, this is... That's an that's a interesting question. Are we still on? <laughs> Where is this conversation gone? For any... For, uh, listen, Give I was a single one man living in New York City. Scores is, um, I mean, I'm a big Howard Stern fan. I, if you live in Manhattan too, I mean, the, the, the Scores it became an extension of my, like, my family, my living room. I was there on like Mother's Day. And there, I, I went enough to where, it, but it's, it's, it's part of Manhattan. It's the same way you go to Yankee games or you get sucked into the culture here. It's, it's true. It's my Yankee it's funny, stadium. What do you want me to tell you? I'm the Derek Jeter of Scores. No. Um, uh, but you know, to, there were times where, yeah, it wasn't about the, the lap dances, it was about just the, um, yeah, we would go there and watch fights and have dinner and yeah. entertain guests and hang out and yeah, it was a, it's a wonderful, it was a wonderful place at the time. And that's, that's again, that's like late 90s, you know. That's what late 90s in New York was. That's what it was all about. So I did take some of the boy band guys there. I mean, some of those guys were a lot older than their percep were perceived exactly. to be. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I was there once with like Lars from Metallica was on one side of me and Kid Rock was on the other. And we're just sitting there and Kid Rock and I had been buddies for a little while and I was just like, oh my God, this is kind of crazy. And then like the DJ just played like a Metallica song and then he'd play a Kid Rock song and they play a Metallica song and he'd play a Kid Rock song. And I'm just like this, just going, what has my life become? It's just, 
is crazy. I felt like Woody Harrelson in Cheers, you know, like the, like, like the bar back to a culture that was just so weird, like what I was seeing. That's amazing. And how is it now that you're, this is, the voice is kind of your second massive cultural phenomenon. You know, TRL was huge and this is huge. Is it a different perspective now? At, at the center of it, do you? I don't know. Are you more equipped to handle it? I don't, to, I don't know. How's it going? I, I, it's, I, I didn't. You know, I don't really look at it in terms like that. But I, I, I sort of feel that it was Christina season one. Who I hadn't really seen in a little while. We took a picture together, and, and she tweeted it out that night. And I don't like have that many followers or anything. But I, I got so much resp uh, response from this one picture, and the general gist was like, one girl wrote, "I've waited ten years for this photo," and it just dawned on me that if you were, you know, seventeen and a girl going to TRL. You know, you're 26 now, and you have like a kid, and yeah. and so here here's that guy from MTV, Carson Daly, and there's Christina Aguilera, and here's this show, and it feels like it feels like that time again. It, so yeah, it's been it's harkened back to a lot of those um, those feelings. That's fantastic. So we're gonna open this up to um, questions from the audience. Uh, what do you want to know about the voice? So we have the microphone. Just raise your hand. I'll come to you in, in the back. Thanks for coming. It's awesome to have anybody here. Hey, Carson. Hi. Um, I just want to know, um, what was the most important lesson you learned as a host? Um, two things, I would say. Don't ever make it about you, because it's so transparent, I think. Like, when you watch talking heads up there hosting stuff, I think a good host is gracious. That's, like, a really important attribute. I'm not saying that I am, but I, I try to be. And listening is another thing. In, like, a lot of talk shows, I mean... I don't have an agenda. If, if, if my goal is to, in this interview, make my guest have a heightened time and if I can help them sell their movie or their book, then I, I, win, I win by, you know, vis-a-vis -vis that. And so that's, that's kind of my thing for hosts is, is um, yeah, be a good listener. Don't be in such a rush to ask your brilliant question. Just listen and try and have a good conversation. You have another one all the way in the back. Yeah. Hi. Hi. Um, for me, on The Voice, the most compelling audition was Lindsay's cover of Say Ah. Yeah. Um, are you guys looking for more auditions that kind of change the genre of the song? You know, it's weird, like, being, again, like, I'm privy to the early sort of process where we start to look at people in, in, in audition form. Season two is so strange, and I think it has to do with, like, Zoe Deschanel and New Girl and this sort of like adorkable, like we had every girl came in and sang like Nicki Minaj super bass with a ukulele. <laughs> like, you know, like with glasses on, like really adorkable. Like, so we don't, and Lindsay Paveo is a cut out of that sort of deconstructed Katy Perry, you know, and, and that we don't ask for that, but we, what's cool about the voice is that we try and grab what we feel is, you know, people are sort of gravitating towards style wise. And so it just depends. So this season, yeah, that was that Trey Songs cover was cool. Yeah, it was really cool. We obviously like it, you know, because it's just different. Um, but we don't we don't push for it. Another question right here in the middle. Hey, what's up? Hey, how you doing? Good man, how you doing? Good, thanks. I like your tie. Well, thanks very much. Sure, Thank man. you. Thank you very um, much. No problem. <laughs> so. Uh, Idol is always uh, criticizing people for saying that, uh, you know, that was too Broadway dog. 
Um, but yet you guys have uh, brought on Frenchie Davis, uh, Tony Vincent, and then you've got Chris who has, with his opera background. Yeah. Um, so Jennifer Hudson, who you mentioned earlier, owes her entire career uh, to Dreamgirls. Right. Where do you see um, music like uh, Broadway um, and opera? Right. Where do you see that fitting into pop culture now that uh, reality shows have become the new a and That's such a great question. I, you know... We obviously would like to have somebody win who, like I mentioned earlier, can really make a connection and, 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 and pierce through and be successful. Now you're getting into the question of what's successful and how do you um, evaluate that. So it's hard to say. But, you know, for, for any of our winners, um, I'm glad that it's different genres. We, listen, we love music so much that if, let's say Chris Mann wins and he becomes, you know, Josh Groban and sells millions of records that way and opens up at the Met or becomes whatever, whatever his idea of success is or ours we're all for that. Like, we want to support these people's music in whatever capacity. If Tony Vincent had won and came back to Broadway to become, you know, to win a gazillion Tonys, no pun intended again, then um, that would be amazing. So the fact that these people started out singing to four huge names who can't see them and then go on to win the show, um, I think they've got a pretty good shot. And it'll just be a matter of time before somebody really, really hits. The talent's too good. Season two, it felt like people watched season one and went, oh, okay, like that's the show we need to audition for. Like they're not messing around. You know, we wanted to, it's easy to go from a bad singer to finding a good singer. It's really hard to go starting with really good singers and finding a great one. Like that's where the voice lives. It's hard to do that. But we wanted to like, we wanted a, a heightened experience that we already knew was working. People like Idol, they like X Factor, they like these shows. But we thought this format could be just, we, you know, we like our take on it. I see one right here in the center. Hello. Hello. Um, so I remember my TRL days, and I really watched it to see what new music videos were out, and that's how I knew what new music was coming out. I was really mm -hmm. focused on the popular artists of the day. And uh, you kind of see the opposite now with the voice, and it's not about, you know, the four coaches, but it's about the new music coming out. And I was just wondering how you feel about how technology's really advanced or if you see it as an advancement of how it's more about new music coming from different areas and now you don't have to watch TRL to know what the top 10 are. And I can have my own top 10 and it's gonna be completely different in how you feel about that. Well, I mean, I love that personally. I mean, this is, and this gets into a sticky territory as well, but I love that. I mean, I think the more, the more that uh, music is on the minds of you know, people is great. I'm a music fan. Um, people have been saying to me, bring back TRL. Like what happened to MTV? And you get into all of that, you know, but if MySpace had gone to, I don't want to get too crazy here, but honestly, I, my opinion is that if, if, if MySpace had gone to Viacom, if News Corp didn't beat them out on that big purchase at the time, I think the intersection of social media and the exploration of music would be profoundly different today. Because I think MTV and MySpace would have figured out a better sort of entree into this new way that we share music, the way that we view music on TV, but that didn't happen. And so now it's just so fragmented and there's not a main traditional media place that has, has that partnership in place really. We try to have it through the shows like The Voice and partnerships at like you know, Apple and iTunes. Um, but personally, I love it. I don't think we need to go to, I mean, it was, it was fun that people had to tune into TRL to kind of see the, the trends, but um, I like mixtapes, and I like to know what your mixtape is, and I like the fact that I can go to your Facebook page and see what kind of music you're in, so I think it's good. I don't know if that answered that, but... We have time for two more. I have one right in the front. 
So like being on like MTV all those years, like and you're now working with Christina, who's a huge artist. Mm. Do you kind of take credit, not like credit, but responsibility? Because TRL kind of was a vehicle for a lot of these pop artists' career. I mean, I'm from Orlando, mm. where these guys are from. Oh, it's in the so, water in Orlando. Yeah. What do you guys drink down there? I don't know. <laughs> Boy band juice. I, I mean, I grew up with. I've. You know, it's crazy. The whole transcontinental movement down there at the time with Backstreet. You know, I've had right, friends yeah. that work with those artists. And I think, you know, MTV and TRL, what you created, make, letting the user get access to the artist yeah. kind of propelled their t career to where they were like worldwide phenomenons. Right. Because, you know, so. Do you think, do you take credit do for that? Do I think Nick that? Carter should buy me a car? Yes, I do. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, you know what I mean? Like, it's no, a, I mean, I don't take, no, I don't, I, you can't take any credit for it. I mean, that, you know, the, the, TRL is like a soap opera. I mean, look at it's like the, look at the class. I mean, we had the Bad Boy and, and Eminem and Fred Durst. You know, we had the Prom Queen and Britney. We had you know Corn. We had POD. We had rock bands. We had you know hip hop finally sort of becoming into the, the top ten. You know, Juvenile back that thing up was the first like hip hop video that ever I think made it to number one on TRL. You had this really cultural crazy time in music. This convergence of all these different things, with things happening you know off 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 air personality wise. So. Um, but they, they were all good. I mean, look at the storylines now. Some, some great artists, they end up putting out really strong albums, and TRL was there at the right time for them, but no, I don't, I don't take any credit for that. And I see one more question over here on the end. Hi, Mr. Daly. How are you? Carson, please. Hey, okay. <laughs> How are you? Carson, I'm, I'm a-okay. Thank good. you. Uh, I'm just really inspired by your work ethic. Thank you. Um, you know, as a businessman. It's something that's really inspiring and energetic, feeding off of that energy, just, Thank you. you know, and I respect that. Thank you very, very much. much. I come across that. like a professor to me. Thank you very much. I'm far from it. I went to community college, but <laughs> I'm proud of that, too. What up, COD? <laughs> college of the desert, no joke. Um, yeah, no, the work ethic is important. That's, that's something I, you know, pride myself in. And, um, but, I mean, listen, like I said, I mean, once you've lived in a Motel 6, and if you don't come from anything, I think anybody who's successful who has a frame of reference of how, more how the real world works, they're, they're better equipped for it because, I mean, I have a family to, to support, and that's number one. And, um, and I also love what I do. So my, the pursuit of my career has been sort of generated really just out of the love of, of music, whether that was good or bad. I made $18,000 a year when I was like 21 years old. I lived off rice. I, you know, bought 40s and just, I mean, I was like, you know, not in a great, great spot, yet loved my life. Like, it was all good then. So I'm sure in five years when it happens again, I'll be, I'll be in from, I will, I'll be okay. It's all gravy is what I'm saying, but you got to work hard for sure. That's for sure. Everyone, thank you again for coming tonight. Thank you to Carson oh, Thank Daly. you so much. The voice thank finale you. is on Tuesday night. Thank you for having thank me. Thank you so much. Thank you again so much to Carson Daly. Friday, May 11th at 14th Street, we will have the winner of The Voice. And if you forget that, you can check our website, apple.com forward slash Soho or apple.com forward slash West 14th Street. Thank you so much for coming out and hanging out and being here with us. You guys have the best weekend ever.